0: Thank mm-hmm. you. the podcast to you, and I I really hope that becomes funnier as you ride this roller coaster with us. My name is Clarissa, and I work at the YWCA as a sexual assault case advocate. My background includes an associate's degree in crime victim survivor services from OSU OKC. With that degree, what it really instilled in me is that no matter what role you have in this world, in this realm, in this field, is that you can make a difference no matter what
1: role you play in that big picture and so with me today I actually have Shantae. Hi my name is Shantae and I am also a sexual assault advocate at the YWCA and my background is not in victim services but it's in theater and um, theater, as theater is we tend to um, empathize and take on different aspects of life and that ranges from Anywhere really, and so that has really shown me a lot of empathy and compassion for so many different types of people, which has really brought me here, where I am today. Thank you so much
0: today, and so thank you all for joining us, wherever you are. This is actually kicking off our intro for Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and so if you have any questions, resources, anything like that, please look into Sexual Assault Awareness Month. There is a whole bunch of information on action steps and ways to be an active bystander.
1: Yes, exactly. Super necessary these days. Um, so now that we have a pretty good background, hopefully you're actually waiting for the tea, right? Mm-hmm.
0: So here we are we're actually gonna spill the tea. So what we are going to be discussing, spilling, dissecting, however you wanna word that, is a topic of disclosures. Now when I say disclosures, what I really mean is disclosures about sexual violence or sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Now, the following discussions may be very triggering. And whenever we do presentations, we do try to add the content warning or trigger warning because throughout this podcast, you actually learn more about vicarious trauma, secondary trauma, self-care. We'll talk about all of those things, but keep that in mind.
1: And please be kind to yourself. That's the number one rule. Absolutely. Um, So the very first thing that I want everyone to try to do before we delve in If you're comfortable that is is to take a moment for yourself and take a deep deep breath so now we're going to talk about um when someone is vulnerable enough with you to take you by the hand and walk you through their trauma you get to take a moment for yourself and then as you respond remember that it is not about you in the moments that follow that's perfect advice thank you for sharing
0: that before we can discuss appropriate ways to respond to disclosures of sexual violence First, we must define sexual violence, right? So we, me and Chante, we use terms sexual violence and sexual assault sometimes interchangeably. And the main reason that is is because they act as umbrella terms. So we use those terms, sexual assault, sexual violence, to classify any type of sexual activity that one does not agree to. This includes inappropriate touching, groping, fondling,
1: vaginal, anal, and oral penetration, rape, and attempted rape. So any sexual act that someone doesn't agree to is sexual assault? Actually, yeah, that's how consent works. The easiest way that I have
0: found to remember the elements of consent was actually provided by our dear friends at Planned Parenthood, which is my favorite thing from McDonald's, as in fries. So fries. It's fries? Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> now, we got to break that down. Okay. So the F actually means freely given. Now, I freely give that consent to eat these fries, right? No one is coercing me or anything like that. It is reversible. If I tell you that I want to fry one minute, and then I say, maybe I don't want to fry, what are you going to do? Exactly. And so after that, we have informed, enthusiastic, and specific. We'll actually touch on consent a lot here because it is my passion. If you missed any of that, um, is there a TLDR for podcasts? Basically, all rape is sexual assault, but not all sexual assault is rape. Sexual assault is about power and control, not sex. So if you take anything away from our discussions today, please take that. I mean, come on, if uh, someone hit you with a shovel, would you call it gardening? No. Exactly. (laughs) However, no matter the circumstances,
2: sexual assault can be very traumatizing. And their survivor and their story should be handled with care. So what does handling a survivor and their story with care look like? You know, that's actually a really good question. We throw out advice all the time, like self-care, self-worth, self-love, handling with care. What does that actually mean in real life? So we're actually going to explore some practical application so that when someone does disclose to you, you may feel more maybe comfortable, with not the word, but prepared to support them in the way that is more traumatic. The most important thing to keep in mind is that your words can carry enormous amount of weight. So please, please try not to add that weight to the survivor's load that they are are carrying. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, the words that you say and how you say them can indicate shared responsibility, damage trust, and impact their self-image, self-worth, and their willingness to seek help. Or they can validate their experiences, provide emotional support, and
2: empower them to make the decisions that are best for them. The end result is up to you really. Yeah, that's that's yeah. really hard. Yeah. Not to mention how how hard is it to even start by believing and using empathetic listening. What is the harm in that? Exactly. Empathetic listening is a skill that we use daily as advocates and it includes being present, just being there being non-judgmental. Yes.
1: Um, (laughs) That's an important one, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, it is.
2: It's extremely important to uh, take yourself out of the narrative and put them in the forefront of what is needed. Um, And then listening for feelings and not just facts. Understanding that we are humans and we have that emotional ability and we're not robots for a reason. Exactly. Um, And allowing silence for reflection. Um, is a really
1: key point. Um, being mindful of body language and facial expressions; those are key, like things to watch out for. Because if somebody is shaking their
2: leg or scratching their arm, or you know the, the nervous interactions, they can really that can really tell you that they're not comfortable in this moment, and maybe what you're doing is actually triggering them too. That requires a lot of self-awareness, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Oh, wow. Yeah, you got to know yourself before you can. Interesting. Um, <laughs> and then asking open-ended questions and paraphrase don't ask yes or no questions leave it open to them to describe how they want to describe the situation to you rather than leading them as if you were an interrogator and why is that important because we are not um, robots for one and then also just this is your friend this is somebody that you care about you would want to know more about them you would want to open them up to um understanding you as a person and your empathy and then understanding them as a person and how allowing them to be vulnerable with you um and that's important as human relations go wow thank you so much for sharing that with me i really like the way you were able to break that down Thank you. <laughs> if you enjoyed all of our conversations so far and our earlier fries reference, how about responding to a disclosure by always looking for a base? A way to believe, assess, support, and empower a survivor
0: that is. Ooh, I know. That's not where you thought that was going. Well, no, it? no,
2: no, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, for all of you at home, that base, that sounds really intimidating,
2: doesn't it? Yeah. So. The only part that's not pretty self-explanatory is the empowerment. What does empowerment look like whenever you're applying it to day-to-day life? Okay. So empowerment is can be used as a buzzword. It can be seen as a buzzword. However, empowerment includes things like educating, providing information on potential resources and responses to trauma. This can provide comfort and reduce feelings of being alone. Statistics, research, and explanations of perpetrator patterns can sometimes be helpful, but please be self-aware and remind yourself where you are in that time. Yep. It can also include something like self-determination. We are all about body autonomy here and self-determination. They are the best expert in their own life. Respect their autonomy and do not tell them what they should do. It also includes problem solving. So whenever someone offers a solution to a problem, what does that say to you? To me, it actually indicates that there is some kind of blame. That there is yeah. some stuff that I could have done to make myself safer. Yeah, when it's really not your fault, the victim blaming is not helpful, it's actually more harmful. Exactly. So ask them what they need. Do they need solutions? Do they need problem solving solutions? Or do they need a shoulder to yes exactly yes it also includes mobilizing so discuss options for safety planning and if this isn't your area of expertise that is understandable that is why people like us do the thing that we do there are victim service agencies all across the nation offering resources referrals safety planning assistance all of that stuff. and safety planning just safety planning with an advocate is like something you can do periodically. It's always a touch-and-go sort of situation. You can always check back in if there's something new that's happened or if you're just more worried because you feel more concerned. Exactly. Safety planning in and of itself should really be a comprehensive, ongoing conversation. Yeah. Because whenever you're safety planning, there's something you're safety planning around. And whatever you're safety planning around, that thing is going to change as well. Yes. So now we have talked about models on how to support someone. Things to say. Now we're actually going to talk about maybe things not to say and ways to approach things in a better way. Yep. Yeah. So, first question What were you wearing? Okay, this is actually a classic victim statement that we see way too often. A scenario that I relate to clients is that someone should be able to walk around basically naked. That still gives them no right to touch their body without. You should either call their resources, maybe they need other assistance, but they don't need your touch. Um, were you drinking? If someone was under the influence of drugs and or alcohol, they literally are not able to consent to any sexual activity in the first place. Asking if they were under the influence not only implies that it was their fault, which again, it definitely wasn't, but it also implies other shame that they should have. Now, if this is something that you have seen before, or if this is something that you've seen in the media, which I definitely have, I would recommend looking up the T is consent video. That is something that we show day in, day out. And yes, it is overused, but it also is the baseline. It is the easiest way to convey consent to every audience. Um, Are you sure it was actual rape? Did you even say no? If someone discloses their sexual assault to you, at some level, they trusted you. Pee in on the past tense if you say something like this. If you look into the neurobiology of trauma, survivors of sexual violence can respond to the initial assault in a variety of different ways. That can include fighting, fleeing, or freezing. Not every survivor screams, so please do not say this. Um, Did you change your mind? Didn't you change your mind? Isn't that confusing? So, back to the neurobiology of trauma. When someone is experiencing a traumatic event, the memories surrounding the event just are not stored the same way as your day to day memories. Memories can come back slowly, over time, or not at all, and that can depend on the survivor and the circumstances around their assault. As they navigate their healing, survivors are often blindsided by memories being catapulted at them. Usually in times that they can. Use. So the memories may come up at different times, and that does not mean that they were lying. That does not mean their story was changed. That just means that they have a revelation, they have things they want to share with you. So please do not shoot them yes. um, down. But you were married to them. Is that really rape? No matter the relationship between two individuals at the time of the assault, it is still an assault. With this case, there are additional power and control dynamics present that make this type of thinking especially harmful. Instead of asking a survivor of the legalities of their situation, again, remember that you are not the investigator, you are not looking for facts here, validate their experiences. Say things like, thank you for telling me that. Thank you for sharing that. You don't have a question. I agree. I knew someone who was really raped once They screamed and fought until they escaped. How come you didn't? I'm going to pause to give myself a second to not say something that this podcast can't hear. However, every survivor's experience is different, and so is their response and reaction after the assault. Instead of asking why they didn't or did you something, say something like, I am proud of you that you survived, that you did everything that you could get out of I know someone who experienced something similar. I cannot even begin to imagine how hard it was telling me. Yeah. The DA dropped charges, so it didn't happen anyways. Not only is the thought process behind the statement invalid simply because of how the criminal justice system was constructed and operates, but that's a whole other podcast episode, so um, stay tuned for that, but seriously. According to the Rape, Abuse, and Incest Network, which we refer to as RING, out of 1,000 sexual assaults, around 230 are even reported to law enforcement. From there, only approximately 4.6 rapists will spend a day in prison. There
0: are many variables that go into if a case will be recommended for charges, which please keep in mind when our survivor reports to law enforcement, where that report goes is
2: not up to the survivor. Often they are not even included on those on those decisions. And so please do not please avoid this kind of thinking altogether.
1: Yeah. Didn't they know you didn't want to? Did they hear you? When did you say that? Basically looking for somewhere to be wrong.
2: So a lot of the statements that sometimes people revert back to whenever someone discloses to you can be can come out of a place of caring and that's where you need that self-awareness because you don't need to cause them more fear now with this particular set of questions consent should be an ongoing conversation with your partner where both partners feel comfortable and safe enough to express themselves and their desires. it is not the sole responsibility
0: of one partner to make sure that they are heard but on both partners to ensure that each has a space to
2: be heard
0: at the end of the day
2: it is still not the victim's fault. Questions like these are so pointed and filled with accusation, and they should be avoided at all costs. It sounds like badgering the witness. Sentence. And again, you're not a lawyer. Even yeah. if you are a lawyer, you are not in a court case with this person. You are there as a support person. Mm-hmm. Please keep that in mm-hmm. mind at all times. Key point to keep in mind you care about this person. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> so Remind them you're... at every turn that you mm-hmm. care about them that you are hearing them, that you support them. And how would you feel if you, this if the
0: situation was reversed? I believe <clears> that you believe that something happened. This implies that you yourself do not believe them. So if you are inclined to say something along these lines, please take the advice of the Honorable Dorothy Parker. If you do not have anything nice to say,
1: don't say anything at all, and I'm going to leave it up. Why did you put yourself in that position? Why were you there? What did you expect to happen? Wow. That feels like a lot of questions, right? What?
0: How would you feel if someone hurled those questions at you after what was maybe the worst experience of your life? Questions like these may not explicitly say, I do not believe you, but they do imply it. They imply that there was something that person could have done in order to further protect themselves or prevent their assault, which wasn't their fault to begin with. Why does your story keep changing? As someone navigates their healing after a sexual assault, their memories may become clearer as they gain additional pieces to their puzzle. Again, back to the neurobiology of trauma, and in case you haven't picked up on it, that's a pretty big part of what we do, is looking through the lens of trauma.
2: Why did you text them the next day if you were really raped? Alright, so now I really want to highlight this statement in particular, because I personally have seen way too many survivors being asked something similar. If someone has any additional contact with their perpetrator, if you were to look through the lens of trauma, you may see things like someone desperately trying to go back to home, someone checking in to see the state of their mind of their perpetrator, or maybe where their perpetrator physically is, so they can better plan for safety. Really, the point is, you don't know, so don't assume. Yeah. Why didn't you just get up and leave? That's what I would have done. Oh, no. So, in this moment, I it literally does not matter what you would have done, what I would have done, what any of our listeners would have done. What it matters is what they did and how they felt. All that should matter is that that person survived this one and that you should work to validate them, not tear them down to build yourself. Remember, when you took a moment for yourself before we actually responded, keep those thoughts in that moment, not this one. And honestly, you're not prepared. You didn't take a test on this sort of thing. You didn't prepare for this. Of course you're gonna make mistakes, and nobody has a perfect situation. You're just going through this, and you're in fight flight or freeze responses rather than thinking clearly. And exactly, that's a really good point to make, is that None of us are prepared to respond to disclosures, and a big part of that, I mean, besides the society that we live in, a big part of it is that we are not prepared, we are not prepared to go through things like this. We are not made to go through trauma. The person that is disclosing to you, they're disclosing how they, their body, and their brain responded to something they were never built to respond to. So it is okay to make mistakes, but you have to acknowledge those mistakes and make better choices. Why are you upset? Why aren't you upset? Why are you crying? Why aren't you crying? Okay, so normal reactions after a sexual assault, there is not. That's the key here. That's actually the one thing I do in trainings. I'm like, what is the normal reaction? And I'll try to see if someone tries to raise their hand. Because that's the person. Okay. So there is not one. Someone who has experienced sexual violence or any traumatic event, for that matter, may not respond in the way that you or society may expect. They may be sobbing. They may be overwhelmed with anger or fear. They could feel empty and appear numb. Also, noteworthy is how someone responds. is not indicative of their experiences. When we are training our new hospital advocates, we try to have deep discussions on not storming into someone's story with your own biases, and expectations, but rather walking in and letting them feel safe enough to express themselves in whichever way they need to in that moment. How is your partner going to feel about it? Intent is different than impact. So even if you have the best of intentions of trying to safety plan with someone around disclosing to their partner, this is not the way. When and even if they want to tell their partner, that's up to them. And hopefully their partner is supportive and access a support person rather than a barrier to their people. I bought you some mace so you feel safer next time. Now, again, what the intent is different than impact. You may come from a place of you would just want to care about this person and want them to be safe. The way you do that is to eliminate rapists. So safety planning has its place and it is a very valuable place. But it is not this place. It is also not just to self-defense classes or acute claw-shaped teachings, and it's definitely not a ring whistle. Please so not come at me with that. Yes, having mace may help someone feel safer, but it should be part of a plan, not the plan. If you feel inclined to say or
0: do something like this, maybe also offer to locate local victim service providers such as the YWCA. Provide 24-hour hotlines they can access and research apps such as Moonlight that may help them craft their safety plan instead
1: of telling them what their safety plan should look like. Yeah, and safety planning looks so different for literally everybody, because we're all so very different. Whatever makes you feel safe is the way that you need to go about it, and you can always assess that later on down the road if something changes.
2: Exactly. So what's gonna help me is not gonna help them, and so I'm not gonna push my ideas, what's gonna help me on someone else? I do also want to mention that question it implies that there's going to be a next step. Interesting. Now statistics do say that there is some truth in multiple victimizations. however if you look at those statistics that really indicates the perpetrators are violating. The perpetrators
1: are serial perpetrators. Mm -hmm. How did they know you didn't want to? Are you sure they heard you? When did you say that? When a sexual assault occurs
0: victim will most likely not be able to walk someone step-by-step as to exactly when it stopped being consensual or if their perpetrator heard their pleas. Because, again, it's not on them. Right. Not only is it unfair of you to ask them to do that, but you are causing more harm than good. Instead of demanding the specifics of their assault, say things like, I believe you, or it's okay that you don't remember everything. That's actually really common.
2: Think of how validating that
0: could be instead of hearing all these questions.
2: Yeah, great. You don't have to prove anything to me. Why didn't you tell me sooner? Any set of questions that begins with why does not belong here. It is human nature to be curious, but keep in mind that their story is just that theirs. Not mine, not Chante's, and not yours. When someone decides to share that part of them with you, feel honored, not defensive. Say things like, Thank you for trusting me, or that must have been really hard. What do you need? Why would you do that? That wasn't a very smart choice. From the wise words of the amazing Anne Laurence, which you will get to meet later on. Yeah. You shouldn't should own anyone. Which guides me to this day. Decisions that are made while your brain and body are enduring a traumatic event may seem counterintuitive to someone on the outside. But to that person, the end goal may have just been to escape and survive. Instead of asking why, try to validate them by acknowledging the decisions that were made and the fact that you were not there. So you can't say what you would have done. Exactly. How can a sex worker be sexually assaulted? Consent. It's a, it's a new concept, isn't it?
0: Now, we cannot drive this point home hard enough.
2: If someone is promised something in exchange for sexual activity, and the explicit elements of consent, think back to the fries, now come on, freely given, reversible, informed, enthusiastic, and
0: specific, if those things are not present, it's sexual assault? So there are a lot of parts to dissect about this particular question. Mm -hmm. The first thing I want to mention is the fact that it is labeled as a sex worker, Mm -hmm. That immediately dehumanizes that survivor. Yes. Just because they are a sex worker, just because that is their day-to-day job, which, again, it's a job. Exactly. They get paid for their job, just like most of us do. But they are in an incredibly vulnerable state. It takes away from their healing and their process if they can't even be classified as human first.
1: Yeah. And even still, sex workers, people... They are people who are classified as sex workers as their occupation. does not
0: inherently discredit them. Yeah. Now, problems. besides that, there is consent. Yeah. So they have a bodily autonomy. They have boundaries. They are able to say no when they are able to say yes. That does not matter what they do in day-to-day life. That does not matter the circumstances around their assaults. What matters is that they did not consent. Yeah. When are you going to report To the police. The decision to report or not to report to law enforcement is one that should be up to the survivor, not you. Other ways to address if they are wanting to involve law enforcement include questions like have you thought about reporting to police or what are some next steps that you want to take and how can I support you? What are you going to do if you get pregnant? Wow, that's a that's a personal question. and um, Not only is that decision 100% up to them, but it also seems like none of your business. Yeah. If you think that this may be something weighing heavy on their mind, instead try and say something like, I know that pregnancy may be something you're worried about, no matter what,
1: I support you. Or just don't ask. Yeah. Have you talked to your pastor spiritual leader about it? Praying always helps me. Have you prayed about it yet? Just like cultural aspects,
0: religious and spiritual beliefs can be very beneficial for some survivors and their healing, but it can also be very triggering and very harmful for others. Even if you think you know that person's preferences, something that helps you helps you may not be the same for them. So always, if someone has disclosed to you, try not to shove advice in their face when all they may want is someone to listen to them
1: and believe. A good rule of thumb is to only bring up religious and support, uh, religious and spiritual support if they choose to do so themselves. You don't want to assume that they're religious or spiritual without knowing that
0: beforehand. Exactly, and
1: even if you are one hundred
0: percent certain
1: that they, that is something that
0: would help them. Yep. Which again, there are some steps behind that thinking as well. Yep. But give them resources, give them that time, give them that information, and let them process it and let them access it if they want to. Yeah. Let them decide what next steps look like. Please do not force them into what your next steps would look like. So going back to taking care of yourself, after a disclosure, there is a lot of unknown in the air. Right? Yeah. What happens next? What, what do you do? And what do they do? Yeah. Well, hopefully they have a good plan of resources to access. What do you do? You just had someone ex- disclose to you a sexual assault. Yeah. And that is why the term vicarious trauma, which is also known to go by compassion fatigue, secondary victimization, which those are really just the latest terms that describe the phenomenon, which is generally associated with the cost of caring. Yeah. What I mean by that is when someone discloses a traumatic event that they and themselves have endured, It is normal and sometimes healthy to experience feelings stemming from empathy, such as sadness, hopelessness. Especially if you're in a field of work like ours, which is why self-care and self-compassion are so important. I don't mean just a bubble bath and a nap. Even though those things can be beneficial, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. Just like how a safety plan is comprehensive and individualized, so is self-care. Basically, what I'm trying to tell you is that in times of need, think like Oprah. You get self-care. You get self-care. You get
1: self-care. Everyone gets self-care. Everybody cares for themselves. Yes. Consensually. Consensually. Indeed. All right. So we talked about several ways to speak to someone who has disclosed to you what you shouldn't say, what better ways to approach a conversation with them, and some really helpful information that will be in the description box of the podcast Um, always remember that this is about them and for them. Take yourself out of the center of the conversation and let them lead. A great way to start this is to simply ask them sincerely how they want you to support them and what would make them feel better. Let them know you care and that you are there for them. And as it's the same with consent, you want to check in periodically, especially if something may have worsened or changed in a significant way for them or for yourself. This looks the same as the first time that you ask. Ask them what was working before, what more or less can I do for you, or even something entirely different. Let them lead the recovery and how they would like to receive support from you. If they want to receive support from you at all. Exactly. Because a no is a no. Thank you for spilling the tea and kiki with us today. We are always willing and able to help victims, survivors, and secondaries of both at the YWCA. Please feel free to join us for our Facebook Live Q&A on April 30th at 1pm on the YWCA Oklahoma City Facebook page.